You're listening to the Community Podcast, episode 136. Reverend Trent Walker begins a new three-week series on stewardship titled, What is Mine Is... This week's message is titled, Send It Ahead. If you would like to learn more or watch the video from this podcast, please visit comref.org. Anyone here, if you have hearing aids, you know what it's like when all of a sudden you get a little tickle in your ear, so I apologize for that, those of you watching online. And I can't seem to read the scriptures from the pulpit anymore without my glasses, so I'm old. Um, hey, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to start off with a couple of, a couple of funny little anecdotes, and, that's to, and then I'm going to make a deal with you. Because we're talking about everyone's favorite topic. If you had to pick a topic in church that you, you show up, let's say you show up for church. There's a friend of mine, a friend, two friends of mine that are here, uh, I think for the first time today. And I went, I'm so sorry. Uh, they walked in on the day we're talking about money. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna tell you a couple things I think are kind of funny, and then I'm gonna make a deal with you, and we'll go from there. So uh, here's the first story. Two guys, and you know, a lot of jokes start this way. Two guys end up on a, desert, a deserted island. Okay, their boat sank, and they swam off, and, and they're there. They're here for a couple of days, and one guy is frantic the whole time. I mean, he is, he's walking back and forth on the beach, and he's circling the island, and he's looking out on the horizon, looking for a dot, looking up, you know, playing Superman, whatever it might be, but he's just looking for rescue, and he's just a little, pan- they've got fresh water, but he's just a panicked, and he looks to the other guy who's laying down. He's got his hands behind his, his head. He's got shirts off. He's taken in the rays. He's got his feet kind of crossed. I mean, he's just as relaxed as he can be. And that one guy goes, aren't you worried? I mean, we might, well, no, I'm not worried. We might die here. What in the, I'm not worried. Why not? Well, my salary is $100,000 a month and I tithe. My pastor will find me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's just my way of owning. Look, there, I have a vested interest in what people give to this church. I mean, I want Kurt, he's got three kids at home. He needs to eat. Um, so, I, I, no, you don't? Oh, no, f- fair enough. Um, <laughs> church giving is voluntary, okay? There's, there's no one that can make you do it. So I understand that people have this idea in their head that, that um, and I know everyone thinks it's a joke, but I've heard it for 30 years. Like, I know what you guys, the deacons pick it up, they go and they leave it back there, and the pastors go and they take all the money and they throw it up. Lord, whatever you want, you keep. The rest is mine. Um, pa- your pastors don't touch the money, okay? Just FYI. But I, I understand that there's this sense. So I want you to know that, yes, there's a vested interest in whether or not you give to this church. There's also a vested interest in you of what that means from God. So I'm gonna to try to separate those two, but I wanna give you just one little, uh, one more little thing. There's a guy, a story of a guy who had a bad dream. He said, I dreamed that the Lord took my Sunday offering and multiplied it by 10, and this became my weekly income. In no time, he lost his big screen TV, his new car couldn't make his house payment because how's a guy to live on 10 bucks a week? You'll get it in a minute. If the Lord multiplied your offering by 10 and that became your income, there's another, one woman puts it this way, or one guy puts it this way, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Okay, so there, there's the stuff about what you give to this church. Now, I'm gonna make a deal with you. I will not bring that up again, the rest of this service, if you don't sit like this and have brows like this. Okay, I, I get it. I've been a parishioner, Laura. <laughs> um, so I just, I browse up because I want you to know Jesus speaks about money more than he speaks about love. 11 of his 39 parables talked about financial resources in one form or another. The only topic that Jesus, when he was walking the earth, that we have the gospels, that we just walked through the gospel according to Luke, 
the only thing, the only topic that he speaks of more is the kingdom of God. Why? Why is it important to the God of the universe? And some people, and we'll get to this in, the, in, in, in future weeks, but some people say, well, the tithe, that's an Old Testament principle, and, and Jesus never spoke to the tithe, which just means 10th. Well, is he part of the Trinity? Wasn't he speaking all along? The Old Testament is the inspired word of God just as the new is. So if you will listen to what God through his scriptures say and what he's prepared in me to communicate to you, I won't tie it to what you give to this church. We got a deal? It's not rhetorical, out loud. Yes or no? Okay, all right, here we go. Um, this is from, this is Paul, he's an apostle of Christ. He's speaking to Timothy, his spiritual son. Timothy has been given a charge by God after he came to Christ and was equipped, sent off to preach the word of God, the gospel, to, to people that have never heard it and to plant churches as he goes along. And Paul gives Timothy some, some advice, and it reads like this. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to sound instruction, to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, we have this in our culture. He had it there. there are, there's always people that will find whatever the new religious or worldview or spiritual thing is, and they'll, they'll take it, and they'll find something they can pick apart in it, and they will pick it apart in such a way that benefits them. In our day and age, we call them prosperity gospel preachers. They, they've, been, they've been around in Timothy's time. They're, there's other types of false teachers, but they will, they will convince people that if they would just muster up enough faith and give it to that preacher, God will give them more and make them rich. That's not scripture. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't, don't get caught up with people like that. They think that godliness is a means of financial gain. But then he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and uh, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's one of those passages that we all know is in scripture, but we almost always misquote. It's kind of like, uh, like God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the scriptures. It actually, the first time I ever heard it was Gene Hackman as the priest in the Poseidon Adventure in the 1970s. God will help us. God helps those who help themselves. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says. It's not. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Think about it for a minute. If, if I'm caught up in, and I bend my will to the pursuit of stuff, when I don't get everything that I want, I gotta blame somebody. 
So it becomes either God not blessing me or it's other people got in my way. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When we want something less than God, it makes us selfish instead of selfless. It makes us my will, not yours be done, instead of your will, not mine be done. But because money is so important to us, we fail to realize at times that it's also very important to God. And it's because money and us are so closely tied. And just so you know, if you don't know what money actually is, I, okay, you, I know what a $10 bill looks like, I get it. But money in a culture, currency in a culture is just a certificate from the culture, from society, that you served your fellow man. And the amount of money they give for you for that service is a value placed by society on the service to your fellow man. So if you produce a product that people value greatly, it demands a higher price, demand, uh, demands more certificates of serving your fellow man. That's all money is. It has no value, it's not, even in our country, it's no longer based on the gold standard. It has no value other than what it means in culture. So to pursue service of, other, of your fellow man is a noble pursuit. But to pursue the certificate of serving your fellow man even at the expense of your fellow man, that's why it's the root of all kinds of evil. Because loving the certificate without loving your fellow man is never, has never been God's call in any of our lives, nor was it God's purpose in coming here. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of, of, of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I'm gonna go back just for a second here. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue, here's the ones we like, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, gentleness. But he also tells us to pursue endurance. Now think about that. If you have to endure something, is that usually a party? I have to endure all that praise from people. I had to endure someone giving me a gift. No, endurance implies difficulty. Endurance, and, and we're supposed to pursue endurance. So somehow, some way, and I'm not accusing anybody of this, but, but we all kind of have this inside of us. And, and when we think about money, and we think about what that means to us, and then we think about what God has for us with that, we tend to get this idea that, that, that God in his, in, if I'm doing the right stuff, if I'm doing good stuff, if I'm pursuing God, then he'll make the rest of things just kind of work out for me then why would he tell us to pursue endurance? Why would he tell us that we have to persevere? Why would he say in this world there will be trouble but take heart, I've overcome the world. He doesn't say in this world there will be trouble but take heart, I've taken away all your troubles. See, faith means trust. It means trusting God even when it looks like you shouldn't. 
even when it doesn't seem to make mathematical sense. Trust God that he knows better than I do what works best for my life. I get it with forgiveness. I understand it with integrity. I understand it, let my yes be yes and my no, no, and anything beyond that comes from the evil one. I understand it even when it comes to how do I take care of the things that he's entrusted to me, but I do not want it to be true when it comes to what he says about my money. So what does he say about money? In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made, a good con- made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler and the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, to whom no one has seen or can see, or whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and glory forever, amen. You think it's over, but then he goes on. He says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides everything, us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul never says, be miserable in the Lord always. Again, misery to all. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. All that you have, everything that God has entrusted to you is for your enjoyment. And he also prescribes how to enjoy, how to live, how to behave, what to be a slave to and what not to be a slave to. And he tells Timothy to command those who are rich in this world. And a lot of you are going, well, that ain't me. Yes, it is, and I'm sorry to tell you, even if you're up to, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt, even if you're, you're hoping that you, this time they say yes to your disability, even if you're in, 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 uh, to, 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 being, to, to getting disability, even if you can't make your rent, even if you just had a medical procedure and you have a $10,000 deductible and you might go bankrupt. You know, in some, some parts of the world, and I believe it's Pakistan, um, that you're considered to be in poverty, you're considered to be absolutely the poorest of the poor if you don't make $600 a year. In the world today, everyone in this room is in the top 2% of earners in the world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now, let me just ask you this question. What is arrogance? I know better than others. I got this. I'll do a better job at this than anybody else. And everybody else knows it. That's arrogance. There's other definitions and you might have one that doesn't seem to stick so much, but. So if Paul commands Timothy to command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. Why? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation of the coming age so that they may take hold of the life 
that is truly life. And then he has some final words for Timothy. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you or to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. I don't like this topic any more than you do. But Jim Elliott, a missionary who was actually killed by the people, murdered by the people that he went to serve, he said how foolish it is to hold on to that which you cannot keep, to lose, I just got it wrong, how, fool, how foolish it is I forgot the quote. I didn't write it down. He's basically saying, why would we hold on to something that we can't keep, take with us and give up what we cannot lose? How foolish for us to say, it's mine, Lord. I'm not going to do it your way. Think about it just for a minute. The whole idea of, 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 of giving the way the Lord says to give is an act of trust. In a moment, you're gonna take communion. What did that cost Christ to give grace to you? Everything, everything. Now can you, can I, in good conscience, take that bread, this is my body given for you, take that juice, the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, can I take that and receive grace from God when I'm saying, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, your will be done, not mine, and everything but. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Plain and simple. Richard Foster puts it this way, money is an effective way of showing our love to God because it is so much a part of us. An economist, not a Christian, an economist, uh, Edward Bauman, he put it this way. He says, money as a form of power is so intimately related to the possessor that one cannot consistently give money without giving self. Money as a form of power is so intimately related to the possessor, the one who owns it, that one cannot consistently give money without giving self. In a sense, money is coined personality so tied to who we are that when we give it, we give ourselves. There's a hymn that many of you know, I'm not gonna sing it, but take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. The word consecrated, by the way, Elizabeth, Isabel, Lisa, Elise, Elisa, all those, all those names mean, they come from the same root. They mean one thing, consecrated unto the Lord. To be consecrated means to be set aside, for the Lord's service. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. But we must flesh that out, that consecration in specific ways, which is why the very next line of that hymn is, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Think about this for a minute. You don't have any silver, you don't have any gold, you're off the hook. Not a mite, not, a, not even a penny will I withhold. We consecrate ourselves 
by consecrating our money. Now there's a famous psychiatrist, uh, Carl Menninger. I've, I've quoted him before just a couple of weeks ago. He's the one that said in the mental hospitals around the country that if he can convince the people in those mental hospitals, now I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's got this right. I'm saying that, that he's world renowned and this is what he says. If he can convince people in mental institutions that their sins are actually forgiven, he said that 75% of those people will walk out the next day. He has a communication with one of his very wealthy patients who's in a mental, mental institution, and he says, what on earth are you going to do with all that money? I just worry about it, I suppose. You, get so much, you, you derive that much pleasure from worrying about your money? Nope. But I get such terror when I think of giving some to somebody else. You wonder why he's in a mental institution. This consumes us, folks. And God has a plan for it. He has a way, just like he does in your marriage, in parenting, in how you do business, who you don't kill. God has a way. And he has a way with money. And he has very specific commands regarding money. Does God know better than you? If he does, are you living that way? See, this terror that this guy talks about, it brings me, ter- I'm, te- I'm terrified of the idea of giving it to someone else. This terror is real, and it, it shows up in other parts of our lives. I, I talked to a man today who's, got, who's had cancer for a while, and he's got a bunch of cancer tests coming up this week, and he knows the cancer's back. And he's living in what cancer patients call the what if stage. Living in the what if, what if this? What if it's all through my body? What if it's spread? What if they can't treat it this time? What if it doesn't knock it down? What if it's, what, 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 what? My friend Steve Crawl, years ago, he had, uh, he had cancer and I called him, he's a male clinic and I called him and I'm trying to give him permission to just be raw, to just shake his fist at God. And he goes, trying to, I get what you're trying to do, but let me, t- I mean, he told me two things that are just, they, they sound so wrong, but he said, the cancer that's eating my body is feeding my soul. And then he said, Trent, the cancer's not gonna kill me. What ifs will kill me? And you know that actually worry, worrying about stuff actually pr- produces chemistry in your body that feeds cancer? See, we understand what terror's like if you get the C word as a diagnosis, but we also have that sense of terror when it comes to parting with our money. This terror's real. When we let go of money, we're letting go of part of ourselves, and here's the key. We're letting go of our security. But this is precisely why it is important to do it. It is one way to obey Jesus' command to deny ourselves. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Do you remember the rich young man? That story of the man that come, we just did it, we just went through it in, in Luke, but good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I got all kinds of issues with that question, but I'll just let that aside. They have a little conversation, and Jesus says this, keep the commandments. And he he kind of had his his iPhone out, and he's like, on the to-do list. I've kept all those since I was a kid. And Jesus says one thing, not in Luke, but in Mark, it said, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, 
Sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. It says the man's face fell because he was a rich man. He turned around, he walked away. And according to that story, that eternal, the eternal address of that man is not a pleasant eternal address. Why does that, and Jesus didn't chase after him and go, I was being hyperbolic. Not every, don't sell everything, just some. No, he let him go. Why? It's not the money. It's self-sufficiency. It's a man who says, I've got this. My will, not yours be done. Jeff Monroe, who's a longtime, I don't, know if, I don't know if we're considered friends. I knew Jeff 35 years ago quite well. He was the Young Life Area Director in Holland. I was a, a Young Life leader then, knew him then, spent a couple of months at some camps with him. But Jeff Monroe's job now is to raise money for Western Theological Seminary. And he put out a little devotional called uh, Living Generously. It's very good, I highly recommend it. But in there, he tells a story of him and his wife living in the Netherlands for a couple of years. And when it's time to come back to the States, they did an inventory of their stuff. Nothing wrong with stuff. It's there for our pleasure. But do an inventory of stuff. What do we need? What are we willing to pay to ship? What do we need to keep? What are we going to ship across to the States? What do we need to give away or sell? That's fair. And so they went through that inventory. And then they had to, 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 to convert their guilders. Is that the currency? Is that right? Okay, the guilders. They had to close their bank account in the Netherlands convert their guilders to U.S. dollars and open up an account in the United States. Because it's stupid for anyone to try to spend currency from one country in another. Because those certificates of serving your fellow man are not valid from one country to another. Okay, yeah, we have the global U.S. dollars, kind of the global, I understand. But you convert the currency from the place that you are, the foreign land, to the place that you're gonna live home. Same is true for our money now. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you can't take it with you. Paul says it right here. And you can't. But you can send it ahead. There's a story of a woman who, or who years and years ago, I'm almost done here, years and years ago, uh, when Ann Landers, you remember that advice columnist, those of you old enough? Okay, uh, a woman wrote to Ann Landers and said, my uncle was the cheapest tightest man I've ever met. And then she tells this story. This guy, every paycheck he, he, he took, when he cashed his paycheck, this is years and years ago, but when he t- cashed every paycheck, he took 20 bucks out and stuck it in his mattress. His whole life, stuck it under his mattress. I would hate to slip on, sleep on that mattress, by the way, or after the year. But he made his wife promise him on his deathbed, you promise me that when I die, you take all that money from the mattress and you put it in the casket because I'm taking it with me. Dumbest thing I've ever heard. But she promised, and here's how she did it. On the day, the day of visitation, it's a Friday afternoon, she gets all of it, puts it in a big trash bag or a box or something, and she goes to the bank and she makes the deposit. And then she comes to the casket and she writes a check, puts it in there. If he can cash it, he can have it. I love that story. You can't take it with you but you can send it ahead. You can store up treasures. You can convert your currency from the place that is not your home to eternal currency by doing it the way God would have you do it. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel person. I do not believe that the scriptures say. There are some things it says, but if you're in want, if you're having trouble, if you can't make the finances work, part of it might be your own decisions. 
Part of it might be that life happened to you. In this world, there will be trouble, but take care of overcome the world. But if you're withholding your coined personality, it might be why you're in want. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, you shall not be in want. And Proverbs chapter 11 says this, one man gives freely yet gains even more, another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. We're gonna receive communion in just moments. He gave everything so you lack nothing. And we always talk about not my will, Lord, but yours. Are you behaving that way with your money? It's for your enjoyment. But there's a way God prescribes. Do you trust him or do you not? Your checkbook, your credit card statement, your bank account, your investments will tell you. So when that bread comes by and that juice comes by and you're asking God to give you this means by which he gives you grace, getting what you don't deserve, also ask him to not give you what you do deserve, mercy. Now there's nothing in this message that is intended to create guilt. Guilt makes you feel terrible, like I'm a schlep. I'm terrible at everything. And it keeps you away from God, but conviction is always specific. So if there's something that God has poked at you in this today, before you take, eat, drink, remember and believe, confess. Just tell God what he already knows. Repent. Lord, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to do it yours. Seek forgiveness and you'll get it. Gone are your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, says the Lord, for I have bought you back. He used the currency of heaven to pay for you. And now you convert some of that currency and send it back. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that what you wanted to say of what was said, and if I've missed anything or messed anything up, I pray that you convict me of it, but that you wipe it from the memory of the people that you were speaking to today. But Lord, if there is anything that was said that is of you, I pray that you will not let, it, let us shake it. That even tonight when we put our heads on the pillow or our toothpaste hits the toothbrush, that we remember what you said. And you remember, we remember that you want what's best for us. We trust you more than we trust ourselves, even with our money. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.